We are wrapping up our series called The Good Life. This is week four of this series called The Good Life. And here's what our effort has been over the last three, now four weeks, is to look at the scriptures and, and ask this question, what does God say is the good life? Because everybody has a definition. Whether you believe you have a definition or not, you have a definition, or you're at least asking the question or looking somewhere to find the good life. And so we want to say, God, what do you say is the good life? And so what is so great about God is by his grace, he's given us this book called Ecclesiastes that's written by this dude named Solomon who had more money than you could imagine, women than you could imagine, houses than you could imagine, horses than you could imagine. Um, on the list could go, it's ridiculous, right? So, he, And then he's now old and at the end of his life and reflecting on his life going, you know what? What really was the good life? Um... Was it money? No, it wasn't money because I had more than you could imagine and that didn't do good enough. Was it pleasure? No, because I, I never said no to myself. That's literally what he says. I never told myself no and yet that wasn't enough to give me the good life. Was it the easy life? Was it the, the one that's void of problem? And he said, no, that's impossible in a fallen world. It's not the good life and on and on and on he would go saying, it's not these things, it's not these things. In fact, he would give you this phrase that said, that's vanity. It's like chasing the wind. And if you've ever tried to chase the wind, you lose. And so tonight, we finally get to ask this question, okay, Solomon, you have gone on for a long time now telling us what isn't the good life, but now you need to tell us, dude, what is the good life? And so we're going to answer that question tonight with Solomon's word, but before we get there, I'll illustrate it like this. When I, until I was a freshman in high school, I was um, not just scared, but like, like pee my pants terrified of, of roller coasters, like would not get on them. And you're like, well, you're, yeah, you're like, whatever. Don't make fun of me, okay? <laughs> Terrified of them, like wouldn't get on them because this is the deal. I had this picture in my head. I had this picture in my head. I'm kind of a glass half all empty guy. So I, I had this picture in my head that if I got on this roller coaster, I know what's gonna happen. I'm gonna get on and I'm gonna be the one guy that the thing comes unlocked while we're on the roller coaster. And then we go upside down and we get stuck. We get stuck hanging upside down. And then I'm gonna fall and I'm gonna fall to my bone shattering death. And this is the picture that I had in my mind. And therefore I am not getting on this roller coaster. I am not refused. It was like, well, what if it didn't go upside down? Still, do you see how fast those things go? Do you see how far that they drop? I don't wanna get on this death machine. I mean, like, I mean, I'm not doing it. And we would go, like, my family, my family, we would go to, to the theme, but back when, rest in peace, Astroworld. But back when Astroworld was here, and if you don't know what Astroworld is, woof, like, I'm old. This is crazy. <laughs> but, okay, so we would go and we, we would avoid roller coasters because I would cry and it would be a big scene. And it's like, nobody wants a crying kid. and It's hot. It is what it is. Until I was a freshman in high school. And our school took a trip to Six Flags in Dallas. Well, now I'm not just with my family. You know, I'm not into my safe space where I can cry like an infant in front of them. And be like, I don't want to get on the road. I don't wanna. Like, I can't do that anymore. And so now it's like, like there are friends here and there are also girls here. And I'm a, like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old dude. Like, I'm tough. Like, I really am tough. I promise. Roller coasters are a joke. I'm a grown man. And so we get, we get into the park and all I'm thinking is, sweet Jesus, I'm going to have to get on one of these death machines. I don't, what am I going to do? And so I'm trying to avoid it, trying to avoid it. Like I have to go to the bathroom. It's like, dude, you've gone to the bathroom 19 times since we've been here, dude. It's weird. And so finally, this, this kid who's a senior looks at me and he goes, hey, you're riding with me, get in line. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, so, so I go, 
I go and get in, get in line with this guy, and all I'm thinking in my head is, dear God, I'm going to die on this roller coaster right now. Right now is where I die. Because this picture in my head, I had this picture in my head of like, of how horrible it was. And so we get, I'm playing it cool, right? I, I'm sure he like understands that I am like currently peeing my pants. But I, I, I'm, playing, I'm playing it pretty cool. I sit down in the roller coaster and like I, I, uh, I pull like the, the, the lever down or whatever. Well, I don't even remember. And I pull it down and I'm like, can you check this again? Like, I, I just don't, I just want to make sure. Hey, can you come over here and check this one more? Like, I'm just like, is this going to come up? I'm just, okay, so we're good. And I'm in this thing and we take off and we're climbing up and, and we're climbing up and I'm like, are we still going up, man? Like, I don't like this. <laughs> and we go and we ride, and I ride this roller coaster and it was fast and it was, and what I found out was I, I, I got done with it, and I was alive. And I thought in my head, that was awesome. I mean, it was just beyond the picture that I had in my head. I was like, that was not scary at all. That was exhilarating. And now I love roller coasters such that my wife and I, we're adults, and my wife and I, like, we're like, hey, you want to take like a vacation? And you're like, oh, it's so sweet. You and your, you and your wife are going to take a vacation. You're going to go somewhere romantic. You're like, yeah, Fiesta, Texas. And si-, like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, you know? I, like, I love roller coasters now because I finally got a proper picture of what it actually is like. You see, when I had a, when I had a warped, misguided, uninformed picture of what it was actually like to to ride a roller coaster, it robbed me, it robbed me of the thrill and the joy that was brought in riding that roller coaster. Now, it's silly with roller coasters, right? It's silly. Now, it's very different when it comes to God. You see, because often you and I can get a very warped, misguided, uninformed, incorrect picture of who God is. And what happens is it robs you of real life. If you don't have a proper picture of who God is, if you're functioning with this warped picture of who God is, it will rob you of the good life. So if you want the good life, we need to get a proper picture of who God is. So let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9. It says this, besides being wise... The preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything else beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been said, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So this is how he starts out. This is how Solomon starts out. He's called the preacher here. Is he just reminds us of, hey, here's why you should listen to me. Here's why you need to listen to what I'm about to tell you is really the good life. He gives us a few things. Look at verse 9. Besides being wise, like as just a throwaway thing, like besides being the wisest human on the planet, it says this, the preacher also taught people knowledge. So he says, not only am I the wisest guy in the room, but I'm also the smartest guy in the room. So like, I am wise and I'm smart, meaning I'm very intelligent and I know how to imply it. Like, I can outsmart the guy that's always in the book and the guy who has street smarts. Like, I'm just that guy. I outdo everybody. He says, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Like, 
Solomon said that he arranged these things called Proverbs. And you know that he arranged these things called Proverbs, pro- Proverbs because we have this book in the Bible called Proverbs that you have that Solomon wrote down these 31 Proverbs. And he, like, like we, they're, they're wise words that we hang our hat on that were written by Solomon. Solomon says, you should listen to me because I know what I am talking about. He says, uh, Verse, verse 10, the, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Why, so why does he just roll out you know, the resume? Why does he just roll it out for us? Like, okay, cool, like you're bragging. Like, this just feels kind of weird. It's just further reason to listen. It's further reason to lean in. It's further reason to say, uh, what, whatever you're about to say is the good life. I'm gonna take that as serious. He knows what he's, what he's talking about. So we should listen because Solomon knows what he's talking about. The second reason we should listen is because wise words are good. Look at verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. And now, so let's just stop because none of you use the word goad. That's goad, not goat. Goad. Go with that, right? Uh, none of you use that word, but it's this. It's this, right? The words of the wise are like goads. It's, this is a goad. It's a stick with a metal spike on the end. Don't think spear, think like, like you got a piece of wood and then drove a nail through the end and it's like this. And it's like you can like tap things with it. And so uh, herdsmen would use them to correct their herds, right? When they get out of line, herdsmen would tap their sheep or tap their cattle to get them back into the herd, back into the direction that we're, we're going. It's a corrective thing. And he says, the words of the wise, they're like stuff that corrects us, that keeps us in the path that we're going. And hopefully that's what you've seen over the past three weeks is as Solomon said, like, hey, the good life's not pleasure. The good life's not found in money. The good life's not found in pain-free. That's not what the good life is. You have, you have heard, you have felt maybe a little correction because you found your hope in money or you found your hope in pleasure or you found your hope in just escaping pain. And you got a little tap and it was like, that doesn't feel real great, God, but it's a, it's a necessary correction. Because what happens if the, if the herdsman doesn't like hate sheep? Like sheep are dumb, right? Like that's just how it goes. If, like, if you don't tap the sheep to get back in the herd to keep going with the rest of the flock, you know what happens? They sail off the mountain to their death. It's like you need help. You need correction. The same is true for us. Like you think you don't need correction. You think you don't need your parents. You think you don't need God to help you. But the reality is left to yourself, if I was left to myself, this would go really badly. Like the Bible says it like this. There's a way that seems right to a man and its end is the way to death. Moral of the story, if we all just choose ourselves, we're just gonna all kill each other. It's like, oh, that's not good. I don't wanna do that. Right, because we need somebody to correct us and to guide us and to lead us in the way that we should go. And those words of the wise, they're like goads. They're like things that correct us. So why should we listen to what Solomon's about to say? Because wise words are good. He goes on in verse 11. They're like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. He says, not only do they correct you, but they're sure. They're like nails that are firmly fixed, right? You can hang your hat on them. They're certain. No other wisdom that you get from people is that certain. You might think it's certain, like the wisdom that you get from from uh, Twitter or like, man, that's so good, right? Like you retweeted it or you just said out loud, retweet or whatever it is that you do. 
uh, or you read some like quote on Instagram, and you're like, gosh, I'm gonna live by that. I'm, no bit of wisdom that you gain outside, outside of the scriptures is sure. It's uncertain. But this is what Solomon says. He says, they're like nails firmly fixed or the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd, capital S, shepherd. He says, God's words, God's words are the best source of wisdom that you have. If you're going anywhere else, you're drawing from a well that will dry up. And this one won't. And yet all the time, we go everywhere else but God's word to get wisdom. We're in the midst of a big decision, so we run to this person and that person and parent. And I'm not saying it's bad to do that, but you never go to God and you never ask. And God's had the best answer the whole time. Because God's words are sure all the time. God's words are sure all the time. So why should we listen? Because Solomon knows what he's talking about. And because these wise words are good, they're sure. We should listen to what Solomon's about to say. So the question then is, what is the good life? Give us the answer. Look at verse 13. The end of the matter, finally, the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So this is it. Solomon just gave you the answer. What's the good life? Fear God and keep his commandments. You're like, that's it? That's it. That the good life is found in us fearing God and keeping his commandments, understanding who God is and doing what God says. You want the good life. Let's get those two things first. So we'll boil it down like this. That the good life, the first thing you need for the good life is you need a proper picture of who God is. You need a proper picture of who God is. It says fear God. A proper picture of who God is. Proverbs 1.7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is, that's Solomon. Solomon saying, hey, you want wisdom? You want knowledge? You want to know how to operate in this world? You have to start at fearing the Lord. You need to rightly picture who God is. If your God picture is jacked up, you will not, you will not live wisely. You will not live the good life. You will be outside of what the good life is because your God picture is so jacked up. And we don't like the word fear, right? You hear the word fear God. You're like, I don't, I don't like that because then it's like, so should I be afraid of God? It's not that simple. To fear God is to acknowledge God for all that he is. It's like this, that God is unbelievably worthy and worthy of our worship and praise. And we should stand in awe of him. He is magnificent and majestic. Yes and amen to that. And at the same time, God is a loving father who is near to us, who, in, who bends down to listen when we pray and loves us and wants to talk with us and wants a relationship with us. Yes and amen, God is that too. And yet at the same time, God is terrifying. This is how terrifying God is. God spoke and the earth started. Nobody has that kind of authority but God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. 
God just spoke and things happened. God breathed into you the breath of life. And just as fast as he brought things into existence, he can that quickly wipe it out. And so, yes, God is worthy of our awe, right? We should fear God and be in awe of him. We should, we should have this understanding of the fear of God and unbelievably loving and near. And yet at the same time, God is terrifying. We have to have this kind of complete picture of God. It can't be just one of the three, two of the three. It's got to be all of this wrapped into one unbelievable, unfathomable. If you're here going like, I don't know if I can like comprehend that all in my head, you're getting a really accurate picture of who God is. Because if you could understand God, then he would cease to be God because God by definition means I'm outside of your understanding. So to fear God is to say, you are everything that you say you are and I'm the lesser party here. To fear God is to humble yourself underneath God and say, you're the authority, I'm not. And you see, we've got to get a proper picture of God because we get this wrong all of the time. For some of you, your picture of God is God is a drill sergeant. That's it, that's all he is. He's a guy, he's an old man who sits up in heaven on a throne and barks orders and you better do them. It's right, wrong, heaven, hell, black, white, do it or don't do it. And that's your picture of God. Just a guy who throws some rules at you and says, you better get it right. You better get in line or get out. Now, has God given us rules? You bet. But not as some cosmic drill sergeant that's like, just squirm. Now, see, your picture of God is all wrong. God has given us rules like your parents give you rules. Your parents don't chuck rules at you just to say like, this is gonna make your life miserable. <laughs> your parents give you rules because your parents love you. Loving people create boundaries for the ones that they love. And so God creates good boundary for you and says, hey, I don't want you to do these things. Not just because, but I don't want you to do these things because to step into that wouldn't be for your best. And listen, you don't know what's best for you. I do not know what's best for me. I will not consistently choose God's best. I won't. I need God to give me something else. God's not a drill sergeant just giving you rules. He's a loving dad that says, hey, I don't want you to go that way because it's not for your good. I want you to go this way because it will be for your joy. And maybe that's not your picture of God. Maybe your picture of God is God's really little. And you know that your picture of God's really little is because you refuse to pray. You refuse to pray. You find prayer laughable. You think prayer is just me talking to the ground or me talking to the ceiling or a wall or whatever. This is dumb. God's not hearing me. God doesn't care. God doesn't do anything. Your picture of God is so small. And listen, I hear, I hear where you're at. Like I, I even identify where you're at because, because this is likely what has happened is that you've prayed for something. You've genuinely prayed for something to happen. Like you wanted healing to happen or deliverance to happen or help to happen, and it didn't. And so all you're thinking is, I prayed for this and it didn't happen. God must not be big enough. 
Listen, just because God answered no doesn't mean that God didn't answer. Just because God didn't answer the way that you wanted him to doesn't mean that he's not big enough. Isaiah 55 is God speaking this incredible phrase. My thoughts aren't your thoughts, declares the Lord. My ways, they're not your ways. You know what he says? My thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. My ways, they're way higher than your ways. What does that mean, okay? It means that God has a way of operating and speaking and interacting that is outside of our understanding. Like, you just cannot comprehend it. You're like, you, I mean, you often think, I thought this before. God, I would not have done things that way. Like, you just need to do better. But listen, God knows better than I do. And even if it doesn't make sense to me, it doesn't mean it's not best. It means it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't need it to make sense to me for God to be operating. Why? Because God operates on a level that's so far outside of me. I don't need to be able to understand. God doesn't owe me understanding. And so if you're here and you've prayed for healing and healing didn't happen and you prayed for deliverance and deliverance didn't happen and you prayed for help and help didn't happen, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God's not powerful enough. It's because God is working a much larger plan, a much larger, much greater, much bigger plan that's not just focused on you. I know that's really hard to swallow. I know that's not popular. But if we could just for a second, pull our eyes up and say, God, actually the story of the world is actually about you, God. We would understand life so much more. We've got to get our picture of God right. God's not a drill sergeant barking orders. God's not this small, incapable being God is awesome and majestic and loving and near and terrifying all at the same time. But that's not all he says. He says the good life's found in fearing God, getting a proper picture of God. And the, the next thing, keeping his commandments. Meaning we need to get a proper, proper understanding of God's ways. We need to get a proper picture of who God is and a proper picture of God's ways. He says, fear God, then keep his commandments. The order matters because here's the deal. You will not, you will not obey what you do not respect. You won't. That's true. That's true with God. That's true with your parents. That's true with your teachers. You will not obey what you do not respect. And so if you do not have a proper picture of who God is, you will never, it is a worthless effort for you to say, well, I'm just gonna do what God says. That doesn't make any sense because you have no obedience, no loyalty to, no respect for God. Get a picture of God right and the obedience will happen. Because see, some of you, some of you are trying so hard. I have conversations with students all the time. I just want to get back to where I was with God. I need to, I need to keep do, I need to do what I used to be, like used to do with God. Meaning I need to behave better. That's what you're saying. I need to behave better. God's not after you just behaving better. People who are atheists can behave better. God's after your devotion to him. God's after you looking to him and saying, there's nobody like you, God. And so I will give my life to you. And if you get the fear of God right, the obedience will follow because what you respect, you'll obey. 
It's like this. I, I met a guy on this trip I went on last summer. He's a, he's a Marine. Yeah, he's a retired Marine. And uh, he would tell me stories about when they were on patrol in Afghanistan. And uh, he said that his uh, commanding officer came to him, and they were about to walk through this area they'd never been through. And so they were, they're IEDs, right? So that's bombs in the ground that were hidden. And uh, his commanding officer looked at all of them and said, hey, stay in line and step in the boot print you see right in front of you. Stay in line and step in the boot print you see right in front of you and don't step anywhere else. And so for hundreds of yards, they stayed in line and stepped in the boot print that was right in front of them. Why? Because if they were to step outside, there's no telling what kind of destruction they might find. And because of, their, because of that healthy fear and respect, they obeyed. And it gave them life. Literally gave them life. So it will be for you. A healthy understanding of who God is will result in obedience because you respect who he is and you respect and you understand his ways properly. You have a proper picture of his ways. But see, here's where the pushback starts to come, right? You start to think things like, you see, I knew it. I knew, I knew Christianity. I knew you church people. You were all just about rules. You're all about just getting, all God wants us to do is obey, obey, obey. You hate the word obey. You're like, I'm my own person. I'll do whatever I want. And you just get frustrated about it. All God's after is me obeying, 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 obeying. But check this out. This is what, this is what Jesus says in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you want to express love to me, you'll keep my commandments. So keeping commandments, obeying God is not just about begrudging obedience. It's not just like I have to do this because I want to go to heaven one day. It's because I just love you so much. I believe that your ways are actually best. John 15, 10 through 11 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will abide in my love. You will experience all that my love is if you keep my commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus says, you want joy? You want it to be full? Do what I say. Some of you are like, man, I've never, I don't really, like, you don't have a definition for joy. You don't even know what joy would feel like. And so my next question to you would be, are you being obedient to Jesus? Because the only way for us to experience fullness of joy is in obedience to Jesus. That's it. Nowhere else. If you think that God gives you commands and ways to live life to make your life worse, you have a really really warped picture of who God is and what God expects. God gives you ways to live because he loves you. How unbelievable is it that the creator of the stinking universe, the guy who knows how our bodies work, how relationships work, how the world works, how unbelievably awesome is it that he gives us a way to understand how to live in that world. He says, hey, I created this place. I created you. I created love. I created all of it. And I'm going to tell you how all of that works. And I'm going to tell you how to do it. He gave you instructions. And we're like, your instructions are terrible, God. 
They're not fun, God. God loves you so much that he gave you a way to understand. And yet we view his commands as if they're like the biggest, like the biggest burden we could carry. They're lame. They're outdated. They're boring. But actually, God's inviting you into life. God's saying, hey, you want life? You want life and life to the full? Come and live the way that I want you to live. Come and do the things that I desire you to do. We've got to get a proper picture of who God is and a proper picture of his ways. So the, the, the final question is this. How does fearing God and keeping his commandments give us the good life? The first thing is this. Because your life is now guided by the one who gives life. You get the good life by understanding God and understanding his ways because God is the author of life. And if you're the creator, you know how creation works best. That's just the, that's just the rule, period, right? Steve Jobs created the iPod. If you're like, who's Steve Jobs? Google it. Steve Jobs created the iPod. If you had a problem with your iPod and you had a choice between some, some schmo with a genius bar and Steve Jobs to give you like a, a help, you're choosing Steve Jobs. Why? Because he's the creator of the iPod. He knows best. So why would we not? When we're trying to understand how to live life, how to navigate relationships, how to find the good life, why would we not go to the one who created life and say, how does this work? How does this work? The last reason, how does this give us the good life? Because it rightly positions everything we pursue. It rightly positions everything we pursue. When we fear God and keep his commandments, it becomes a filter for us for everything else. So now, so now when we have money, it's not like, yes, if I could just get some more money, this stuff is so great. I want to swim in dollar bills. It's this, it's, no, it's different than that. When we fear God and keep his commandments, we say, this isn't my money. God, this is your money. And so if I have $1,000 in the bank account or a million dollars in the bank account, God, it's yours. And so whatever you want to do, like I want to be smart and I want to be a good steward of it, but if it's a thousand or a million or one or a billion, it's yours. It rightly positions everything. The stuff that you get, the cars that you drive, the house that you live in, you see it's, it's not ours. The pleasures that you experience, like can, imagine this, right? Steak tastes good, correct? Right, steak is delicious. Like thank God for cows. But check this out. God in his grace created this animal that we could kill and then cook and make this delicious mouth-watering like slab of deliciousness. And that's incredible, right? Like, yeah. Like, if, if you're here, you're like, steak is gross. I'm like, man, that's unfortunate for you. Check it out. Like, God, God created that. God gave us that. 
That's a gift of God's grace. You will not find, you will not find the good life outside of understanding who God is and understanding God's ways. You won't do it. If you pursue anything but God to find the good life, it will not be the good life. It will be a fake picture of what the good life really is. And it will rob you of joy. It will rob you of it. You'll never experience life as it's meant to be experienced. 